0: Public CEO Report is a podcast that provides insights about the public sector and public policy for the benefit of decision-makers and leaders powering our communities. I'm your host, Ryder Todd Smith, and today we're joined by Jason Cottle, City Manager of the City of Lancaster and Executive Director of the California Choice Energy Authority, otherwise known as CalChoice. Jason, welcome to the program.
1: Great. I'm honored to be here. It's always a fun time when you're with RTS, your new reference. The infamous RTS.
0: The infamous RTS. Thank you. Thank you. I'm. I'm. Uh, I'm. I'm trying to to achieve a Ruth Bader Ginsburg level of infamy at this point. So we'll see. Or the notorious
1: RTS. RTS. The That's notorious right. RTS. Exactly. Exactly.
0: All right, Jason. So uh, despite our audio issues, let's get into it again. Tell me about how you arrived at being the city manager of the city of Lancaster.
1: Yeah. Well, it's. A, it's. A, it's. A, I think it's a great story. If I've been the city manager for 22 years now. Um, and I started in Kern County and uh, was transitioned over to city government because I saw there was a better opportunity there to actually accomplish more things. And I started my career in, as the city manager of Tehachapi, um, oddly, when I was 26 years old. So it's kind of an interesting story as a, as a young as a young city manager and in my hometown, which is I think was kind of unique. I spent 10 years there, mm-hmm. um, tried a stint in banking for about a year, and then ended up in Lancaster. And I've been here for 12 years now, 10 as deputy city manager, and now two as the city manager. And I've Loved every day I go to work without question. It's a phenomenal career um, for those youngsters that are listening out there, or those uh, up and comers. Um, it is a it is a fantastic place and a profession to be involved in.
0: How did you manage to become a city manager at such a young age of twenty six?
1: It was dumb luck. Uh, you know, it was one of those things. Is when I was working for the county, the the current city manager that retired was retiring. And I told myself I could do that job. And uh, ironically, I went to the city council and said, you know, if you want somebody who's done this for 20 years, I'm not your guy. There's no question about it. But, you know, it was was my hometown and I I love the town I live in. And uh, I kind of said, but if you know, if you want somebody who's passionate about this community and who can do the job, um, you know, I'm the guy. But if you're looking for somebody with experience, I'm not the guy. And uh, at the end of the day, I said, I understand if I'm not doing the job, fire me. So whatever whatever that message was, it's old. And I had 10 really great great years there that I think we're very successful.
0: Congratulations on that and congratulations to Tehachapi too. So they took a risk on the young buck and uh you delivered apparently. Yeah.
1: It was it was a great experience and they're still delivering well up there. Um so it's good.
0: You're still a resident up in Tehachapi?
1: Yeah. I still live in Tehachapi. It's my it's my home. I have too deep a roots to believe. So I um, had the pleasure, you know.
0: I have my quest going around city halls, doing thumbs up. And on a trip back from a MMA NC conference in Yosemite area, I took the route through uh, your town and Lancaster and Tehachapi, your hometown, and uh, stopped by city hall. Had a uh, couple couple photo ops and cruised around. So it was a nice little visit. So I've I've added Tehachapi City Hall to my list of visited city halls. Oh, there you go. Now. Yeah. Um, all right. And so, uh, so here you are now sitting both as the city manager in the city of Lancaster, um, big kind of well-recognized city up there in the, in the high desert area. But at the same time, you're also the executive director of CalChoice. What, uh, what is CalChoice and what does that mean being the executive director of CalChoice? Right.
1: Uh, CalChoice is a JPA of CCAs and, um, so we have currently 11 operating CCAs underneath uh, the, the umbrella, the joint powers authority called CalChoice. Um, CalChoice provides uh, specialized services to each of those cities um, or to all of the cities collectively. And then there's st- still certain controls that the city has individually with their, with their choice or their, uh, uh, cal- or their choice energy or their uh, aggregation of their energy program.
0: So I, I've heard it described um, by some folks involved with CalChoice, and I should disclose CalChoice is a client of Trepepe Smith. We do some work with them, so we're obviously fans. Um, but their model for CCA is different, and there's really kind of three basic models. There's a model that says create your own uh, entirely and run it in-house as a like a division or department within the organization. Uh, a second model which says give up all your control and join a broader bigger organization um, uh, where you kind of maybe maintain some maybe low voting rights, um, but you're part of like one vote out of 45 or something, depending upon the size of the of the organization of this mass CCA that you control. And you're subject to the major decisions of that CCA. Uh, and then there's this hybrid model that represents CalChoice, which is you get to do your own thing for to a large extent, uh, but you don't have to add a bunch of staff to support the effort because it's part of a broader coalition of partnering uh, government agencies that are delivering on the CCA work. So is that a reasonable description of those three different models?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And um, I think where it started is Lancaster was the first city to do it as a, we call it the enterprise model, is just a standalone city doing it. So we had Marin as a G- traditional JPA, Sonoma as a traditional JPA, and Lancaster was the first city to do it on, a, on its own. Um, and what, what, that, what we identified at that point was, our staff had to learn a whole lot of things, right? We, cities aren't in the energy business. So to get in the energy business, it's a much different, I guess, uh, work set than we, than we traditional at, so than we traditionally know. So once we learned that, we realized we only needed to learn it one time, right? Is that once you're formed, all this, all this experience that you gained in creating this entity and now operating the entity is, is lost because you only need to do it one time. Once you're formed, you then become an operator. You're operating the entity, buying and selling electricity, <laughs> Um, so we started getting other cities reaching out to us, saying, "How can we help? What can we do? And um, how do we do what you did?" And we found that it was very difficult to do what we did. And I think that we were unique in that, we, just because our, our council is very entrepreneurial. Um, we're we're not risk we're you know we're not risk averse. We, we we're willing to take some of these risks. So we were we were unique in the in the marketplace, right, to make this happen. So when we visited other cities, some of that organizational inertia didn't allow that change to happen. Um, so we created this idea saying, well, if, if we can do it for you, maybe it lessens some of that risk or lessens some of that cost. And then as we started partnering, we realized, well, if we can jointly operate together as a JPA, which all of us are familiar with, every city familiar with how JPAs operate, right. maybe there's a, a winning solution there. And instead of, you know, if it costs you $100,000 to buy 10 megawatts of energy, it's going to cost you $100,000 to buy 100 megawatts of energy. So it became this opportunity to scale um, and benefit all of our members financially, but also allow their staff not to have to learn the gyrations and learn the process that our staff learned so they can they can use that and merge those, those efforts. And so far, it's been very successful. We have 11 operating cities um, procuring on their behalf every day regulatory affairs and a number of different things that traditionally cities may not want to engage in.
0: And then there's a couple more that I think are theoretically slated to come online pending some changes in the energy markets that are going on right now.
1: Correct. Yeah, so we've, we've got some others that are uh, looking at making that decision soon. The energy market, is, as you know, is volatile. So depending on time of launch will have an impact in the financial viability of the program. Um, so we're, we're working through those issues right now.
0: Yeah, and I think my observation on that would be uh, if there are entities who are choosing not to enter the market right now because of uh, energy volatility, that's probably a healthy sign, right? That means that they're actually making decisions based upon market conditions and choosing to mitigate risk by not entering the market and choosing a better time to enter. So uh, I'd rather organizations choose the timing on that stuff than, than you know, kind of say, "Ah, oh, we'll figure it out later and take on additional risk that they don't necessarily have to. That just seems like it's it's wisdom to some extent.
1: Yeah, and and in in that scenario, you only have one chance to be wise, right? And it's when you start because that's the only time you get to pick the market. Once you're in the market, well, now you're a—I don't say victim or a beneficiary of it, whichever one you want to be. Um, Once you're in the market, you can't be wise. You just got to track the market and be wise with the operations and you know lower your operational costs, you know increase those reserves and do those things that are standard in the industry to mitigate that risk. Versus when you get in the market, Um, so you know it's wise to kind of hold on and see that. But the same token you know, you can wait too long and you've missed opportunities, right? And that, that's what we've seen, too, is some of these cities now that are coming on board. Lancaster's been here about six years now, I think, around there. Um, you know, if we would have started six years later, right, if we would have said, well, let's wait for the optimal time, let's watch, you know, let's the stars align and the moon align, you know, we would have foregone a significant amount of pro- programs and projects, Um the additional revenue opportunities that we've seen as, as, a, as a city, as well as, you know, the other benefits that we've provided other cities who are CalChoice. Yeah. So, and let's talk
0: about that a minute too. I mean, cause uh, you know, Lancaster, as I've seen and working with you all and talking with you um, is very entrepreneurial, right? So you were willing to take on some of those risks six years ago and form this um, CCA and get into the business and you know, roll up your sleeves and make it happen and climb that learning curve. What, like, what was the decision behind why you chose to do that as a city? And what have been some of the, the wins that have come out of that experience? Why was, if you look back, was it a good decision and why?
1: No, it was, it was an absolutely good decision. And I think the why is because we have a council that's entrepreneurial. And I think that's key is when, when you look at leadership structures and what we have to do. Um, it's one, having a council that's willing to take risks, right? Which all of us not always have. Every city doesn't have that. Um, you have to have a staff that's willing to take risks, right? And recommend risks and change. Um, so that's that cultural relationship between the council and staff. Um, but then you have to have a community that's willing to allow you to do that, take that risk as well, right. um, which we've been fortunate to have. And I, I think there's, there's a strategy to that, right? It doesn't happen overnight. Um, we had a long list of successes with the, the, our current city council and our mayor um, that allowed us to build that level of trust. And then when we came up with crazy schemes, if we've made the previous crazy scheme work, then the next crazy scheme didn't seem so crazy, right? So <laughs> as, as we roll down as we roll down these successes with crazy schemes, you know, the, the community even backs it to a certain extent and expects it. Um, so it's that, it's that relationship between the council, staff, and the community that allows this risk taking to happen. Um, so we would notice we'd go into cities sometimes, and I, I went to a number of different cities, you know, asking them or explaining to them CCA, the opportunities for CalChoice, um, and it was it was interesting to find out where those communities fit instantly. Right, is if you went to a community and there were citizens there arguing about, you know, government taking over the electrical system. Well, you know, the likelihood of, you know, that organizational inertia not moving was going to be pretty heavy. If you went to a community and the council, you had a, a vocal supporter and a, a council leader and a city manager that was ready to move forward. You know, you could see those those shifting winds to have those successful those successful stories and right now we have 11 of those under under us and then a number of different cities who um, are operating effectively and uh, under the uh, traditional JPA model um, as well as some that are informing new so it's uh, it's been a huge opportunity for us and you know I think there's two parts to that question is you know what have we done with that right and I think if you look at what you've, we've accomplished in this Lexius six years, you know, we've acquired our streetlights uh, uh, from Southern California. Edison, retrofitted them to all LED. We've created an energy efficiency program with our businesses and customers so that a small business for free can come and get their energy retrofit. LED lights, you know, the thermostats, all those things. A residential retrofit program where they come into their residence and retrofit. We've electrified our entire bus fleet. We've had 85 electric buses through ABTA in a partnership with Palmdale. Completely electric. We have a completely electric fleet. Um, through a relationship with uh, a rate-setting structure uh, with LCE. Um, we've had a manufacturer of electric buses located here specifically because of our our technology and our understanding of how electric transportation works. Um, you know, we've gone down the list of battery storage. we talked about solar on people's rooftops. Uh, you know, we, we're looking right now at an, an offset for developers that are required to be that net zero. Um, there's a program that SMUD has been approved and we're applying for that right now where New housing doesn't have to have that solar on their rooftop. Uh, they can put it in the desert through a partnership with the city. So there's all these things that we can do, these tools available to us as a city that allow us to succeed. We received a $5 million grant from the CEC to build an affordable net zero housing community that we're currently go- just finished the RFP on that we're going to council with in the next couple of weeks. So it's these types of things that without um, this tool, right? without these revenues, without this resource, none of this could have happened. Zero. Um, and then we, now we're talking about hydrogen, which is now our next crazy scheme. Um, but when, when you look at what's next, is that we wouldn't have got to this point without having to do that.
0: So as a marketing PR guy, I think I want to shift. I want to, for your sake and mine, shift us away from
1: crazy scheme language. <laughs> <laughs> well, hey, you know, you'll go to places, and they'll look at you like you're crazy. So I don't. I I understand. We'll we'll get away from that. Yeah.
0: Um, So let's let's talk about this well thought out uh, rational approach to innovation. Uh, Tell me about the hydrogen, the hydrogen uh, effort that you're now implementing in Lancaster.
1: Right. So one one thing, having the history with the energy side of it, and the goals that a mayor has set from a net zero perspective, um, we and from a California's need for 100% electrical. They're asking 100% the removal of the internal combustion engine. You go down these list of goals, that I think we, I don't know that we all agree with or not, but nonetheless, they're the the goal line that has been set. We can't achieve that by building solar and wind. It's just not, it's not feasible. So in looking to the future and identifying what's next, um, our mayor identified and our council identified hydrogen as that opportunity. Um, Hydrogen has unique qualities, uh, very similar to battery storage. Um, it's, you know, there, there's an opportunity to create electricity with it. There's an opportunity to fuel transportation systems with it. Um, there's an opportunity to, ge- to store energy. Um, there's an o- opportunity to use it to generate excess energy when the sun's or the, when the solar systems are overproducing. We've heard that story. So there's these very unique traits that um, hydrogen possesses that, in some cases, are far better than traditional PV or wind wind resources. Um, They can be created in a number of different ways from biodigestion of our waste stream to, you know, waste to energy conversion. So there's a lot of ways to create this, and it's green hydrogen, there's a lot of ways to create this hydrogen that'll end up fueling our systems when the sun's not up or the wind's not blowing. And I think there's a a huge opportunity there. And we're we're getting some traction in that.
0: Awesome. All right. And then it's, I mean, in general, it sounds like energy policy has been a big priority for Lancaster for a long time. Uh, I attribute that to council priorities and staff innovation, but, uh, is there anything else that's driving that? And how's that fitting in with your
1: overall kind of brand as a community? Yeah. The, the one thing that came up and it was in a, an economist was speaking at one an event we had here last week and he was talking about the convergence of wind and sun. Right. And, uh, as much as you know, somebody, in, somebody in South Florida might wanna be in the solar business, it may not be as sunny enough there because of the clouds or whatever it is, right? Or Minnesota or somewhere else. Lancaster happens, or the Antelope Valley happens to be in the, in the heart of wind and solar nationwide. There's only a couple other places that have the kind of level of energy production that we do. And I think we would be foolish not to capitalize on that from an opportunity of economic development. No different than there's some cities that have a beach next to them, right? They'd be foolish not to take the opportunity to, you know, extract those economic development opportunities out of that beach. So we've really just transitioned this and saying, what are our natural resources as a city, and how do we? I don't want to say exploit. You're the PR guy. I don't want to say exploit those resources, but um, you know, take the opportunity out of those resources um, and create jobs. And I think one key thing in the story of this energy is that we haven't spent any money doing it. You know, I think there, there's a there's a notion out there that somehow if you want to go green, it couldn't cost you more money. Um, the reality is, is everything we've done has been a revenue opportunity for us um, and created a business opportunity or in, incentivized some other program or did some other – was there some positive outcome besides just spending money?
0: Um, the And so let's talk a little bit about that, that as well because running the operations for a number of these things requires city staff to make them happen or contracting with or using the JPA model that you have – so Lancaster Choice Energy, or uh, yeah, LCE is actually part of the JPA that was formed for CalChoice, uh, which means most of those operations are are um, being handled or managed by the JPA, as I understand it. But at the same time, there is some net revenue as a result, or maybe um, some gap between cost and, of services and actual uh, rate payments that allow for making – uh public outreach campaigns or conducting public outreach campaigns or funding other activities or otherwise just supporting the kind of overhead infrastructure of managing lce how has that played into say the general fund for lancaster or overall cost structures for other things that you have at lancaster like baseball stadium or things like that
1: right so let me we'll back up a little bit talk about cal choice a little bit so the cca or the the cal choice is the mothership so to speak um, they manage the regulatory affairs, that's legislative, that's CEC, PUC, which cities aren't traditionally involved in. Um, they handle the procurement of the energy, which cities aren't traditionally involved in. We handle the, um, the, pro- or the uh, forecasting and scheduling of energy, that's actually putting it to the grid, and the auditing and accounting for that effort, and the, the legal services associated with it. All those things that generally are behind the scenes kind of things that the public sees, right? They're the nerds in the back. Um, what happens in under our JPA model is the city council of the respective city manages branding and um, out, outreach, right? They're the, they're the local, right? When somebody calls to complain about them, the city hall picks up the phone. Um, they handle rate setting and determining what the rates they want to be based on their their priorities as a community. They handle the type of energy that's procured, whether they want to be 100% renewable or they want to be, you know, uh save costs to their citizens there's a number of different ways that a council can get involved in that Um, but the key component is that is they keep the excess revenue so there is a margin between what you buy the energy for and what you sell the energy for and within that margin is where those individual cities get to keep that margin and then they get to implement their programs the way they see fit so where i talked about electric bus and i talked about uh, led street lights to go down the list of things we've done you know, there may be other cities who want to do an economic development program, right? They may want to do a rebate to their citizens for a lower rate. They may want to do a rooftop grant, or, you know, there's a thousand ways that those those revenues can be spent to further the goals of that city. Um, under our model, each one of those cities gets to determine their future as it relates to that. Um, and they're just letting the nerds in the back, you know, manage the stuff that, in, in most cases, you know, the community doesn't see, right? I mean, they don't see you know, procure, they, they just, you go buy wind. Um, we allow cities to buy local stuff if they have the local wind resources and they, you know, they're, they're, they can buy their individual stuff but they can also buy collectively with everybody. So it really is a unique flexible model and it doesn't, probably a little more risky than joining somebody else, right? And, and joining the big group. Um, but at the end of the, and there's probably a little more political risk at that because you're setting the rates the individual councils are setting the rates but the return, is, you know, you get zero return on the other alternative. The return here is far greater than, and the opportunities for your community are far greater than you know just giving it to somebody else.
0: Yeah. Well, risk, risk and return. As a, as a uh, recovering banker on your end, you're well aware of risk and return and why you have to take some risk in order to get an extra return. And obviously, Lancaster has, has been running that entrepreneurial model and taking those risks over a long time now. That's helped you guys uh, innovate, to say the least. Uh, mm-hmm. When you uh, talk with other city managers, and I know you've spoken on the local government circuit and whatnot about, about this, what, what are some of these things that they come up common, like you commonly hear from other city managers that uh, you know you'd easily want to just speak to here, since since we're going to record this for for posterity' sake, what what, what yeah. do city managers ask you about?
1: Well, you know, the, I think they, they ask about risk, right? Um, I think it's number one. What happens, you know, what happens if my if it fails? Well, there hasn't been one to fail yet, but so I don't know what happens. But the uh, uh, what happens if it fails, right? Um, and that 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 answers you know the question they're asking sometimes, and we ask, and I'm, I'm in this category is if it fails, do I get fired, right? Um, is or is it how do I explain this to a city council that may not understand it, right? Um, because it, it is something out of the ordinary, and then you have some political factions sometimes you got to you know, take the tea party or whatever whatever label you want to give people is that government shouldn't be taking over private entities. You know, if you've got some philosophical opposition to it, general. Um, you've got some risk opposition to it for city managers who are generally conservative who don't expect their city to, you know, reach out there and do that. Um, and then you have some communication issues as it relates to how do I communicate this to the public and to the council who may not understand it. Um, and frankly, a lot of times cities just aren't ready to do it because they haven't prepped the process right they haven't plowed the field you know from a standpoint of getting those things those groundworks laid so that you can move forward um, and that's what i generally see is that when, when we in communicating this is that you know while all of a sudden you're going to do energy you've never talked about energy right you've never talked about 100 renewable we've never talked about the environment we've never and now we're going to come in with this energy thing um, the cities that have been successful i think have done a really good job over a period of time of plowing the groundwork to say, you know, the globe is warming and we need to do something to change that and we're gonna do it at the local level. And, you know, they do things like, you know, roof to, or solar on their you know rooftops and their sewer plants and they're they're inching up to that. So the next, pro, next logical progression is how do we get the community more engaged in that green energy story? And I think those are the ones that are more successful. So as it relates to getting to the level to do a CCA, it's gotta start with this concept of, you know, we're in the energy business as a city, and we believe that's part of what we do. Um, very similar now that we're having this conversation about being in the health industry that we mm-hmm. you know, rarely talked about. It's, you know, we're in the energy industry. We, we're cities, we don't do energy. Well, yeah, we do. Um, and now it's like, we're in the cities. we don't do health. Well, yeah, we do. So we're starting to see these transitions happen in local government perspective. And I think uh, if the sooner you start, the more likely you are to find that success later. Yeah.
0: Um. Two other things I want to just dive into on CCA, and then I'd, I'd love, if you're okay with that, I'd love to talk a little bit about pandemic response and Lancaster's response on that, because um, you guys did some really innovative things very early on, really before the pandemic was, I think, frankly, on the minds of a lot of people that I found very interesting, um, and your mayor in particular seemed to really be aggressive about wanting to get ahead of some of the pandemic issues, or at least trying anyways, as much as one could even get ahead of these things. But let's close it out a little bit on the CCA work. Um, first, just could you provide for our audience, for those who are not particularly familiar with CCA, the nuance between the role of the CCA in acquiring power versus the ongoing relationship, say, with Edison, PG&E, SDG&E, in terms of delivery or transmission of that power?
1: Right. So, so CCA is partner with the utilities. And uh, I think early on in the process, we, we, there was a little bit of adversarial relationship. I think it's grown enough to a point where we're partners in delivery of energy, um, in in this case, for our for our sake, it's Southern California Edison delivers and produces the wire, right? They they maintain and deliver the wire, and they make sure the electricity gets to your house. We make sure the electricity gets to the wire, right? So we provide the electron, they provide the wire. Um, they do the billing, so you end up with one bill. So they partner with us on the billing. So we'll send them day or annually or daily, uh, annual, daily, those meter reads. And then they can upload their bill so it's seamless from that standpoint as your, as your citizen gets a bill from southern california edison on that bill it has their cost for the wires and on that bill it has the cost for the electrons um and you know there's there's been a great relationship with edison i mean we have some hiccups sometimes just some of some of them are all our fault some of them are edison's fault but we end up working together to try to solve them all and we have very little um you know uh, negative interface. And it's been a very positive outcome for us. And I would say most of our cities as well, um, is that, you know, that that relationship still holds true.
0: Okay. Uh, and then the closing item, I just want to talk about this a little bit. And we've hinted at some of these things or touched on them a little bit in terms of risk management, risk avoidance, the decision-making process to get into this business. There are, um, as we mentioned, there's these three models that we're talking about. And um cities, when they debate this, they debate those three models, and they want to look at those three models. And sometimes I've seen it's very easy for cities to say, you know what, I'm just going to opt in for the JPA and kind of hand over control and let them uh, run the whole thing and just turn my city into a member of their JPA. Uh, what are the, I guess, what, that seems very risk averse, certainly, it's the lowest risk approach. I guess maybe the, even the lower risk approach would not even be joining the, the CCA at all and just continue on with the traditional model. Um, but what are the kind of pros and cons of that consideration of going with that um, consolidated data JPA uh, versus the uh, enterprise model that you're describing uh, for you guys? And how should a city evaluate those choices?
1: Yeah, well, I think one is doing nothing is obviously the lowest risk. Well, let me clarify. There's opportunity costs, but it's the lowest risk. Um, doing nothing is obviously easy, right? And we've had this conversation. Sometimes we're guilty from city government saying, "The less you do, the the least likely you are to get unelected, or the least likely you are to get fired." Right? Is the, if the more you do, the more likely you the more you get outside of that those edges of that box, right? The more likely you are to you know impact your future. Um, so yeah, then the, I think the the easiest way in is joining another group. Right? Is joining, whether it be CPA or you know go down the list. There's a number of them now. Um, that is very easy. These are smart people. These are hardworking people. They know the industry. They're successful in it. Um, your citizens will get great service. They'll get, you know, in some cases, lower rates. They'll get greener energy. And there'll be programs that they offer that are fantastic. So it works, right? There's no question about that. Um, and it's hands-off for you, right? To a certain extent, you might have a board board seat of maybe 15 members on the board or whatever it is. You have one board seat. You're going to get engaged, but you're going to be able to, you know, tell that story that your citizens are doing their part through this entity that, that you, you actively joined. Um, you then have the enterprise model, which is doing it by yourself. And we've met with some cities that are looking at doing this. And frankly, they should do it by themselves, right? Because it's not, I don't want to say it's not that difficult, but you hire a few staff, few capable people. And there's a whole lot of people out there in the industry now that are capable of doing this. Um, you know, the larger cities do it by themselves, right? Um, and, you know, there's a financial cost to that. Um, And then I think the next—I mean—that is the most risky. But I think that middle point is this cal choice, where you want to get engaged in a deeper level, right? You want to see the revenues return to you. You don't necessarily want to join this big group who you may not have a relationship with, right? You might say yeah, I'm a small—I'm a small town in the middle of nowhere, and I'm going to join, you know, LA County. You know, it's like, well, I'll get swollen up. I'll get swallowed up. Um, so you might have some of those issues. We say. I want to be part of something where my staff, I think, is capable. I'm a little more entrepreneurial. We're a little more risk-taking, and we want to see the greater benefit of that. That's really that sweet spot for the JPA. The there really isn't a right or wrong. It really comes down to culture and how much you know risk and entrepreneurialism you're willing to take as a city. Um, and city managers have a great, you know, great opportunity to understand that. You know, if they say every time I go to the council, I got a, a rate-setting process where it's a nightmare. I'm going to do this every year now you know, it may not be beneficial because you can't lose money in this entity, right? You you so sort there's of, things like that, that if the rate setting becomes political and there's there's so many factions in there that, you know, that uh, we go through as city managers um, that we have to understand. And so it, it may be good for some cities, it may not be work for uh, others.
0: Yeah, so what I'm hearing you say, and for example, in that last one, is if you have a elected body who uh, shakes in their boots every time they have to go through a sewer rate increase, or a water rate increase, facing uh, down the prospect of dealing with an electric rate increase might also be a real problem, particularly because the markets are so volatile, they can't really sit on that infrastructure for
1: long. they got to move to the markets in terms of rates. Correct, absolutely. Yeah. And then, so those are challenges. I mean, um, you go to another JPA or the, the traditional JPA model, you don't have to worry about that. Somebody else is setting the rates, right? I mean, there, there, there's engagement, but there's not you know, that close to home kind of uh, effort. Um, right. So, you know, there, there's so many intricacies between each model. There really isn't a right or wrong model. It really is. And it's not a competitive model. Uh, we're not out there saying that model doesn't work. Every city has a unique model. I think what's cool is we have this opportunity to, to create those unique cho- choices for people. What's interesting is the, um, they recently, know, there was some news media release on this uh, buying of long-term storage, where the number of different CCAs got together to go buy long-term storage together. That's exactly similar to what we're doing at Cal Choice, right? Now you've got these other CCAs that are joining together to go buy collectively energy, um, which there are certain benefits in that marketplace. So, you know, even within the traditional JPA markets, they have hybridization of their relationships.
0: Yeah. So it strikes me bottom line, I mean, it's important from a governance perspective and from some of the economics that go along with it, the risk reward we talked about earlier, that any city council, city manager considering these options really kind of needs to poke at all three figure out which of those three might make the most sense given all those factors that have been described and then make a choice. But without without kind of evaluating all those options, you might be making a pretty significant decision. I guess there's four options because the fourth option is do nothing. Uh, but you might be making a pretty significant decision without having at least mentally explored some of those pathways
1: and knowing what those pathways are. Right. And what's cool about that, and it's, it's, sometimes that, that return is going to be long-term. We have this thing called PCIA, which is the exit fee. Well, over time, that exit fee goes away right, where it's a 25% of our, our cost right now, 20% of our cost now, well, eventually, it's going to be zero part of our cost. And then you see the, the operational effectiveness of your entity, you know, go leaps and bounds as it relates to the amount of revenue you're generating, but as it relates to the amount of programs that you can implement. So you may be making a decision to forego those revenues today, right, to join an entity where you don't benefit from the revenues that 10 years from now, 12 years from now, is going to be flooded with funds that you'll have no control over. So there's, you know, there's a lot of things like that too, but uh, sometimes we don't see past next election.
0: (laughs) It is a challenge. It is a challenge in every uh, legislative body of looking past the next election is a difficult thing organizationally to do. Oftentimes the, the staff and the, um, I think the appropriate word, even if it comes with a pejorative to it, a bureaucracy understands the need to look past two years or four years, but that's not always possible uh, in the scheme of things with some of the immediate demands from elected officials and, you know, the the body, the people they represent, right, the the, the body politic itself, so.
1: Absolutely.
0: Um, all right, so briefly, I want to just transition real quick because uh, we talked about this history of um, Lancaster being very entrepreneurial in what you do. and I certainly I certainly think that the Calchoice uh, JPA and your early uh, efforts, because I think you guys were the first Southern California CCA, if I recall correctly my history on that, um, evidence that that entrepreneurism, so an innovation. and maybe the appropriate term here is innovation. So, could you talk a little bit about Lancaster's stance and some of the steps you took early on in the pandemic? And I'm really talking like January through March of 2020, right? So over a year ago at this point, uh, in terms of your efforts to partner up with your local um, hospitals uh, in the city, actually um, finding doctors to engage with and actually um, kind of deputize of sorts. Could you talk a little bit about what you guys did there? Because there's some really interesting stuff I thought about what you what Lancaster was mm-hmm. up to.
1: Absolutely. And I think this it starts from, again, our mayor and our council. We've, we talked about this years ago, right? And we had, from our emergency operations perspective, we had looking for stores of Tamiflu and some of these other things because our mayor saw this on the horizon. He said, this is going to be a problem, right? Obviously now, in hindsight, Tamiflu didn't have any solution to this problem, but nonetheless, it was contemplated in our emergency operations plan um, just because our, our council and, and mayor was uh, you know, aware of this challenge with this process and just so Um,
0: we're clear when we talk about this challenge and process because i think this is particularly unique your emergency operations plan included an element to consider a global pandemic i guess it's redundant to say that a pandemic
1: as part of the concern absolutely and it was it was an understanding that this was a potential and i think we're and you'll see it it was kind of funny not funny but we did an event in january where the mayor and as you know we this was happening in china early in china in january and the mayor was speaking at this event and we actually showed it in the year review, um, where he's talking to the, the crowd and saying, you guys, this was going to change your life. I mean, this was in early January. This is going to change every day in every way we operate. And I think people are probably like back to the, you know, you know, the, the, the crazy scheme, whatever. Everybody's probably thinking, what is he talking about? Nobody's saying this. Exactly. Really, you know. Um, and then that next council meeting we put on, two deputy mayors, which are doctors, one was an epidemiologist in partnership with Kaiser. And then the other was the ER doc at the hospital as advisors, right? To understand, you know, we, we had a number of different things, public health and all these all these other folks that were giving us advice, but we really wanted to look locally to, to share that. And then also have them communicate with the public from a level of, of knowledge and a level of experience where you have the, the head of the ER talking about the importance of staying healthy. And you've got an epidemiologist talking about how to stay healthy, right? Um, so we had this really good partnership with those doctors, and did a, just a whole lot of public outreach. And I mean, just constantly. And you know, Ryder, you're part of that. Is this this constant effort to communicate, um, and then also legislate. You know, you got to communicate and legislate. Where we required masks before anybody else. We were you know buying masks before anybody else. We were you know just we had our emergency operations team putting together at our fairgrounds a, a satellite hospital. I mean, this is early March. We had this thing set up. Um, and ironically, December, we were talking about how we're going to utilize it again. Um, never ended up having to. But this, I mean, this is the forethought, you know, that I think we had present as a community. Uh, we had a 500 bed, you know, a, a satellite field hospital set up and ready to rock. Um, we had NASA engineers. We had, you know, the people at Edwards Air Force Base and Lockheed Martin building apparatus for the hospital for ventilators. And, you know, we just really engaged community in a positive way to try to get an impact. And it was it was a really good story. Um and then even up to late, you know, when, once we got up and running, then we started doing, of course, I, I, I don't think we're unique in this, the communities, you know, from a restaurant rescue programs and loan programs and, um, you know, giving out PPE and, and those types of things. We also joined every other city fighting the county, and what they were doing as it relates to our, our economic challenges that we were facing. So, um, and then most recently, which they just left today, was actually when the spike happened, our hospital was... Um, you know, inundated and overflowing. Um, we partnered with Samaritan's Purse through a relationship with the local church and our mayor and uh, the hospital and built up a field hospital in three days. It was serving, you know, 70 more bo- 70 more patients in their field hospital, basically in inflatable tents. So it was a uh, um, just a, a great, um, great you know, synergy and, and, and uh, process in which we, we all worked well together. And um, I don't think there's any question that that was the... Uh, that was saved lives and kind of, I don't want to say put the culminating effort on it, but at the end of the day, it was like, we got through that. Now we've got these vaccinations, right? Um, so now we work and partner with, you know, uh, right now they're going to launch vaccination site Monday, which is a large uh, or a vaccination site at our fairgrounds again in partnership with Lancaster. And it's just, now it's an effort to same story, different, you know, outcome, educate, legislate, and motivate, right? I have motivate. I added that one. That sounds cool. Um, you know, it's it's uh, communicate the availability, motivate people to get it, and you know, just let's get the economy back going again. And you know, it's finally, due. I think we're all starting to see a little bit of light at the end of this tunnel. So it's a it's an exciting time. And you know, it's a we prepare for emergencies. You know, an earthquake lasts 12 seconds. You know, that's the that's the extent of the emergency, and then everything else is cleanup, right? This emergency has lasted a year, and it's yeah. been you know ups and downs and roller coasters for every city um and you know i like to think we you know i don't want to say we did it better but you know we our our staff stepped up we did it with calm we did it with you know strategy and it was it was effective we did it with great leadership and communication from the council
0: yeah Uh, is your is your uh is your eoc still active
1: yeah yeah i mean there was there was a moment that we were in there a month i mean for maybe a month or two actually daily showing up to the eoc um it's still oh it's still open for fema purposes but you know, we're all operating from our, our units. Now we, we're kind of putting together these like strike teams. So, you know, that's, it's like, okay, we need a testing center. Let's get a strike team on the testing center. We needed a vaccination center. Let's get a, you know, a group of, a handful of staff to work to get it, make it happen. So we're kind of moving in these little kind of hotspots now, um, solving some of these problems. And you know, if we have the restaurant issues when they closed again, let's get a team on the restaurant, economic development side of it. So it wasn't the whole EOC operating in a traditional manner, but we had the, you know, the emergency operations going through there.
0: Right. Well, I, I would just encourage our audience to take a take a gander at some of the early communications that were coming out of the city and some of your efforts. Uh, you know, we worked with a ton of cities on COVID comms, and they've all done what they can do within their capacity and within their um, uh, within their kind of organizational organizational structure and politics too. But the uh, Lancaster, particularly like just this the symbolic value, not to mention I'm sure the actual material value of insights that were provided by deputizing two health professionals to actually be deputy mayors and be available to staff and the council for advice and insights on what was going on uh, throughout the entire pandemic was, I have to imagine, was immensely helpful and was frankly just nothing. I I, I did not see a single other organization that we had the honor to work with um, have that opportunity or be able to do something like that. So I thought it was very that was very innovative.
1: Yeah, it um, was huge. It made a difference.
0: Yeah. Um, all right, and then i want to put a bow on this. Uh, I just want to ask one other kind of follow-up from Pandemic, again, given the innovation that Lancaster represents, and you're a very forward-thinking city manager, so I'll be curious about your thoughts, and I take the risk of putting you on the spot here with this, but um, you've probably had many of your city hall staff working remotely over the duration of this pandemic while you're trying to provide safe distancing. I know you guys implemented some uh, early on some pretty innovative tools for doing um, temperature checks at the front door and having people kind of check in to make sure that they were okay before coming into city hall. Uh, but having said that, um, you guys have, a, I assume, a, a remote infrastructure right now for the most part?
1: Correct, correct? yeah, we're, we're, we're operating. I mean, we have some staff inside and we kind of utilize it. Like, I come to the office every day because I, I'm old school, but- Because um, you're the you know, city manager. Yeah, the, the hands-on are necessary. but. The um, yeah we do have we do have certain personnel that are working exclusively from home today, Um, and then some that are coming in and obviously our field crews need to be out filling potholes you can't do that from your living room, Um, but yeah it's 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 becoming a hybrid model and you know the days I do stay home I find myself being oddly effective so it's kind of like even challenging my brain a little bit to say you know those days you can be effective from home. but I think what's going to really change, and this is this is kind of interesting, because we have staff that, you know, if you're doing payroll or if you're doing plan check or you're doing some of these other things, yeah, you might be able to do that from home and be per- completely productive and actually be an optimal setting. Um, is when we start recruiting the next group of people that request to not move to Lancaster. Right. That's going to be interesting. That's going to be an interesting story in local government. Is from a competitive marketplace perspective we're hiring a senior engineer right now that we're, you know, maybe having some difficulty finding one. If there's anybody listening, come on over. Um, but the, uh, is this concept that we might have the next batch of engineers or plan checkers or traffic guys, or what, you know, building inspectors, whatever it is, payroll, you know, go down the list of things that are probably appropriate for being in a home setting, say, I want the job, but I don't want to move. Um, that's gonna be interesting. And I don't, I don't know how we're going to respond as an, as a industry. Um, or I don't know how we're gonna to respond as to Lancaster. It's just kind of, it'll be a different, it'll be a different setting and it's kind of a, it's exciting, but it's also challenging. You know, um, we look at education and how we're gonna educate our kids and how this thing, you look at the positives, how this comes from. I got, a, I got a daughter and son and both of them are excelling in spite of being online. And, you know, it's kind of like, okay, we can maybe do a little hybrid model here. We can do something different to educate you know, our, our our group. We can be a little more efficient in economic development deals instead of having to travel places. I mean, there's going to be so much out of this that um, I think it's going to be positive and it's going to be challenging to all of us, you know?
0: Yeah, I well, so you went exactly where I was kind of headed. I was curious about what your take was on the future of um, hybrid uh, employment arrangements or remote workforce and how Lancaster was going to adapt to that. And you raise a great point that I hadn't thought deeply about yet, which is when the employees start kind of demanding or expecting or or at least throwing out there, hey, I'm interested in applying, but I'm not going to move from Sonoma to um, Lancaster. So if I'm, I'm skilled, if you want me, I'm here, but you got to hire me up in Sonoma, right? Or what if they're in Oregon or they're in Minnesota, right? And and uh, they're quite skilled, but they want to stay in Minnesota. Is that a barrier to being able to put those people to work? It'll be very interesting to see those issues evolve. And I'll certainly be looking to Lancaster to see how you guys navigate through those issues um, as kind of a, a an early indicator of where cities might be going um, in their entrepreneurial response to this new labor
1: market, we we will potentially be looking at. Well, oh, and then, then you think of mobility from an economic development standpoint, and you know, we've got Lockheed and Northrop and some of these folks here. Um, they're hiring okay. thousands of people. I mean, literally, they, you know, it changed their world a little bit too. Maybe they'll need to hire so many in Lancaster, right? And so that impacts our economic development strategy. The other side of that is maybe there's somebody who's working in downtown LA that now can afford a house in Lancaster and work from Lancaster. So you have these interesting dynamics that we're, we're not really sure what the impact's going to be from a, from a uh, personnel perspective to an economic development perspective to, you know, go down the list. It's, it's going to be a, a different future. Yeah, absolutely.
0: Well, Jason, uh, anything else you want to get off your chest, anything exciting and new in Lancaster before we wrap
1: this up? No, I just, uh, you know, anybody listening just you know this profession there's no greater profession on earth and you know if you're if you're listening to writer stuff trying to you know learn a little bit or you know get engaged or get enlightened uh you know city management is a special special place to be and a special career to be involved in and, um you got special people like writer who you get to have be friends with so um that's great feeling
0: mutual jason thank you very much for your innovation we've been speaking today with- Today with Jason Cottle, the City Manager of the City of Lancaster. Jason, thank you so much for joining us today's Public CEO Report. I want to thank our staff here at Public CEO Report for helping to pull this together. And uh, I encourage you all to subscribe to our channel and follow up for additional Public CEO Reports. Have a great day. Thanks, Adam. We hope you learned something new and inspiring that'll help you in your public service. Remember, Public CEO has a daily newsletter that is free to those who sign up at publicceo.com. If you have feedback, questions, or guest suggestions for Public CEO Report, please email alex at publicceo.com.